0: Hi, I'm Shalisha Baxi Ritchie.
1: And I'm her co host and sister, Kosha Baxi Karstens.
0: Spoiler alert, we are sisters.
1: And best friends.
0: We grew up in the middle of Illinois, two little brown girls in a heartland farming community. We were certainly loved, we had lots of friends, but we never felt like we really fit in. We started to realize that there were a lot of people who felt similarly othered. And that realization was the seed for this podcast.
1: Then during the 2020 election cycle, we watched now Vice President Kamala Harris reclaim her power and story from Mike Pence. We saw what a badass she was and we got inspired. We wanted to hear, share and amplify the voices of everyone
0: who has felt other. We wanted to give everyone a platform, regardless of who they are, who they love or where they're from to reclaim their power and their place, to stand up and say, I am speaking. Okay. Hi. Hi, how are you, Kosha? I'm good. Yeah. I'm
1: good. Let's, let's pretend like we haven't been talking for the past 30 minutes. Yeah. Before we're like, oh, hi, how are you? No, we've just <laughs> been chit-chatting.
0: Yeah, there's a lot going on.
1: Oh, there is. There is. This week is busy too. So
0: this week is busy. You got a lot of stuff on your mental plate.
1: Yes. I always do. Like even when I don't, I do. Which I guess we're gonna talk about, but
0: Yeah, we are gonna talk about that.
1: And then I I was driving home today and I was like, I'm actually I have anxiety about talking about anxiety on my own podcast. Like that's that's very meta.
0: <laughs> that's an interesting place to start. <laughs> Thank thank you for that excellent lead in. <laughs> it's very meta of me. So when you were thinking about that, what what were you, you know, what was your train of thought? How did you get to like, oh, actually talking about my experiences causing me anxiety?
1: Uh unknown experiences always cause me anxiety. So it I and I've been on a couple of podcasts and we've been doing this for two years, but like being the person who's being asked the questions and like having to be like eloquent and give examples and and it just thinking uh, thinking ahead what am i going to say if you know so something that i have always done is a lot of contingency planning which takes up so much time like brain space because it's like okay what if what if this happens And then you have to go, you know, here, it's like a make your own adventure book where you, I'm just, I just dated myself, didn't I? But like one of those make your own adventure books where you have to plan out the entire book. Like my job in my brain, my brain just goes like, okay, for this podcast, like we have to plan out the entire book and we have to look at everything. What if, what if she asks you, you know, like give an example of X, Y, Z, what would I, what will I say? And so, so that kind of caused it a little bit and, and I hate to say this because it makes me, it sounds shallow, but like, I just, we just put out your episode and it's already gotten really good, uh, responses and I had to edit the whole thing. And I was like, wow, this is like, you're very eloquent and you're very thoughtful. And I even told someone, I was like, I get choked up every time I hear you tell that story just your story. And I know it, like I could say it, but it just, I'm like, Oh God, what if I sound lame compared, you know, like it's, it's not like, well, I gotta be as good as her, but I just didn't want it to be unbalanced. Like I want to also be able to be eloquent and open and vulnerable and, um, make sense about my anxiety and try to help other people who might be going through the same thing. Like all of our guests do. Yeah. So
0: well, I I'll tell I'll say two things that may help you. One, regardless of what we talk about in this next, you know, couple hours, you will then take the spec and edit it and you can make yourself sound as awesome as you want. If you don't like an answer, you'd be like, Cut that out.
1: <laughs> it's funny that you say that because I, I have told several people, my God, my laugh is annoying. And they're like, "It's not. it's not." And I was like, "You don't hear it as much as I do. I cut out a lot
0: <laughs> Anything is annoying if you have to deal with it all the time, and certainly knowing the way you edit where you're like, "Do I cut out one second or two seconds?" And then you just keep going back, and I'm like, that I would I've told you a hundred times, if that were me, our podcast would have huge chunks <laughs> cut out of it, and then I would do that maybe three times and be like, "Well, that's what it is now." It would not sound smooth, it would not sound continuous, things would be like, what the hell, they were just talking about this and now they're talking about something else. It would be awful. (laughs) So just hold that in your back pocket that you get to be like, if I don't like the way something sounds, you just be like, oh, I don't wanna put that in there and cut it out, right? So that's that, you have the power of the edit, which is, you can absolutely make yourself sound awesome if you're like, I sound stupid, and then you just like, do your editing magic. Right. The other thing is you're talking to me, right. So being vulnerable and open is not a particularly big challenge for you talking to me. That's true. you know, it's interesting for as long as I've known you, which is forty two years
1: three, forty three years
0: forty three years. Well, you still think i'm forty six. I know so you're forty two. I
1: thought you were turning forty six this year. <laughs> I am
0: 46 now, but I will right. be turning 47, right?
1: But I think I asked you if you're turning 45.
0: <laughs> At one point you thought I was 44. That's true.
1: Pretty soon you're going to be younger than me <laughs> when I ask you. I'm like, I also know that I know I was a math lead as we all know. So <laughs> I know how to add. I know how old I am. I know how much older you are than me. So pretty soon I'm going to be like 47 and be like, why are you 44 years old? <laughs> it's like weird
0: so for as long as we've known each other and as much time as we spent together i think there are parts of your story that i don't know at all
1: and i'll and i'll tell you that like you know i am in therapy now and i have been for a couple of years and consistently like i've kind of been on and off since um since college but i will say that i even have been just recently unpacking a lot of this stuff. So like, you know, when you say there's parts of the story that you don't know, a lot of it is just me coming to terms with those parts of my story, which uh, you know, I tried to either hide or just be like, oh, that's just that's just how I am or whatever. And you know, it it is recently very, very recently in the grand scheme of things that anxiety is something that people even are willing to talk about. It's one of the newer mental illness, mental health challenges that we are being more open about. With depression, it's, it's you know, it's stigmatized, but people are, at least it was like recognized as a thing. And with anxiety for a long time, it was like, you know, just people are, why are you worried? Stop worrying about that thing. It wasn't, it wasn't, um, it, yeah, it
0: was dismissed, right. Yeah, it, it was, was dismissed.
1: It wasn't realized as like an actual physiological mental health, mental illness. So, you know, that, that definitely has, is part of like a lot of people with anxiety don't talk about what happened when they were kids because it just was invalidated or dismissed.
0: Mm-hmm. So when did you first sort of when did it first occur to you? Not necessarily that you had, quote unquote, anxiety um, as like a condition. Like when did you first realize your response? That things were, that you were feeling nervous, feeling anxious, that something was off in certain situations or just off?
1: I would say in retrospect, I knew when I was a kid in retrospect, like in hindsight in in terms of being present and realizing that something was happening, it was in college. And it started like not realizing that it was anxiety, but that um, it manifested as something else. But I was asked to be in a wedding, Emily Bleeker's wedding, who we had on the podcast. We were freshmen, so she was getting married right after our freshman year of college. And we went to a bridal shop and I was one of the, I was biggest girl in her bridal party. The woman said something about needing to special order my dress. The next day I started running and I started cutting way back on eating and then it spiraled. It was several months later when I had lost all this weight and stuff and it had manifested into a full blown eating disorder that I first went to like just the campus counselor. And I was like, so I'm doing this thing with my eating and not anorexic or anything. Right. Like it was always that it was like, well, you know, she just like what, what triggered this? We talked about how that manifested and it came down to when that woman said something to me about, about special ordering my dress, I remember thinking, Oh my God, I cannot be the only. And I said this to myself and I'm, I'm saying like I'm putting this in quotes because this is not, I don't condone this kind of self-talk anymore, mm-hmm. but I said, I cannot be the only beach whale at this wedding. And I went straight into like, what am I going to do? And so that. Is when I can go, there was a connection between what I was doing and my mental state and that I knew about it in the present and not just in hindsight.
0: Did it make a difference? Again, we're not talking about the, how to have an eating disorder. But do you have that response and you engaged in a series of behaviors that, you and I both recognize we're not healthy. Did it alleviate the anxiety? Um, no,
1: and it took years for me to get into recovery for my eating disordered and disordered eating. But what it did, it gave the illusion of health. Mm. A lot of disordered eating behaviors are about illusion of control. And sure. so me saying, I am controlling the thing I don't want to happen in the future by doing this right now. It gave me the illusion of alleviation of those anxieties. But how many other issues cropped up because I was doing that one terrible behavior? And and I was, I was, I gaslit people. I had friends in college who were like, you didn't eat anything at dinner again, right? Or something. And I'd be like, I'm totally fine. Like, what are you talking about? And I didn't, quote, look anorexic. I didn't have the gauntness. I knew when to stop myself. I had like a weight that I wanted to be. And so I was very much on top of making sure what it looked like. People with anxiety are really, really good. Just like people with trauma, people with depression. They are very good at covering up their behaviors and so like I go back and I'm like I gaslit Jamie when she said she was worried about me and mom and dad dad called me out several times now what I will say is dad called me out what I will say in the wrong way but like he called me out and I totally denied it
0: I remember dad rather than talking to you about being concerned about your behavior was really focused on the eating you know in some ways I can understand that because it's like well if I can control your behavior, if I can get you to do something, maybe that will make a difference um, instead of being concerned about the bigger picture. Although truthfully, I wonder if it was too scary for mom and dad to to really wrestle with the big picture.
1: I mean, that's their own kind of like control issues. Mm -hmm. Like If I Mm -hmm. can't control it. But I like I said, I was really good at covering my tracks and I was really good at stopping myself. This is where I will say, I I was a little bit different that you cannot tell somebody with anorexia that or bulimia that like, oh, you're too skinny because there's no such thing as too skinny. I had a weight that I was like, I won't go under this. And I never did. So again, I had like a ceiling and a floor control issue where I was like, okay, if I'm this weight, I'm good. Like, and, and then if I even dipped a little, I would eat a little bit more that was a little bit different. And that's why I think it's even more about anxiety because if I got too skinny, quote, too skinny, then I would have anxiety about what people would think or say or, or confront me. So I do think it my anxiety definitely caused most, if not all of that disorder eating.
0: So it sounds like your way of dealing with the anxiety about what people would think about you as you were standing up there in Emily's wedding being the largest sized person that was dealt with through strict control of eating and exercise. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Not that it didn't become an eating disorder and it was certainly disordered eating, but that's a, from what I understand and listeners please correct me if I'm wrong. That's slightly different than how people have eating disorders and anorexia where there is no such thing as too thin.
1: Right, I I think that because the motivations are a little bit different. I, obviously the end result is is what it is. I went four days without eating. So if you look at the behaviors and, and the results, but if you're really looking at motivations, then I do think that my motivation for what was happening to me and somebody with a more like textbook uh, example of anorexia, might it might be different how you would therapize that person.
0: Sure, right. The sort of core issue that you're dealing with there's still the way it shows up in behavior what you can observe which can look a lot the same but like you said the core motivation can be really different
1: again i had this future worry and it was like finite right like i oh my god i have in whatever july 9th or whatever and if that's the right date i will be so impressed (laughs) so i didn't have this outcome on july 9th i have to do these things now and it was all based on like my anxiety of what that day was going to look like
0: so that's when you first really sort of saw in real time I'm doing this because I'm trying to control like I'm feeling anxious about it and so this is my response to anxiety
1: yes. I-, I wouldn't have named it anxiety at the time but it was the first time I was like this is wrong like there th- there's something wrong in my brain you know it's not just that I'm upset about my weight that was the first time I was I knew that like something was going on. I didn't know what label to put on it or what to do about it, but it felt like I knew that I was, something was going on. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So, and you said that you engaged in disordered behavior at various other times. If when you look back at those things, were those bouts also kicked off by some specific thing, activity, deadline that that the sort of controlled eating was allowing you to manage anxiety through
1: it. It then became a lot of what are people going to think, and that's something I have struggled with, and it's it's so marvelized with my anxiety. What are people going to think? So if I if I suddenly like gained weight again, I'm gonna be like, what happened? Like you were just you know that, and this is like in my, or er, like late teens, early twenties where you care a lot but you gave a lot more fucks about like what people think about you especially physically i think it was a lot of like just self my identity has now become like oh i, I totally got healthy and i'm you know working out and and so if i let myself gain the weight again what are people going to think so that became my motivation
0: yeah i find it very curious you you didn't actually care that much about your weight you cared so much about what people would think about. What are people going to think of me if you were ten thousand pounds, but still look like you weighed one hundred and twenty? Let's say you don't actually care about the ten thousand pounds. You care about whether people think you weigh ten thousand pounds, or whether you weigh one hundred and twenty.
1: Yeah, me now, I'm definitely not the smallest I've ever been. I'm not the biggest I've ever been. I'm very like. Could I stand to lose fifteen pounds? Yes. Am I? Do I look and feel obese? No. But I am the healthiest I've ever been. Like I box, I run, I swim, I I run marathons. I've done a triathlon. I can punch someone out, right? Like I am so much healthier than I ever was, but I was smaller and I quote, looked better, but I was sick. It was more about looking apart and having people think of me in a certain way. People talk to you different when you're thinner, right? You know this too. People talk to you different, people treat you differently, they look you in the eye, they, they engage. How many people were like, oh, Kosha, you're doing so great, you look great. So then if I had to come back like to Thanksgiving the next year and I had gained 30 pounds back, then what is that person gonna say about me then? They're so proud of me that if I come back around, that that means the opposite then then like, I'm not worth being proud of. I'm lazy and I'm not working hard and I'm not healthy. It must mean the opposite. So anxiety for me, at least has, there's a lot of like, it's very binary. It's very like diametrically opposed. If you're not this, you're this. If you're not working super hard and you don't look like you're a certain way, you must
0: be lazy and fat. So I'm gonna, I wanna ask you to go a little deeper on that question because you're not the only person I've heard say, talk about being lazy. And I'm really curious, and I know it's you and one other person that I know who said this, right? So the entire sample size of two people in the world. But what is it about people with anxiety and laziness? Why is that the thing that that is a trigger for you? Like that you'd be anxious that people think you're lazy.
1: So one thing about people with anxiety is they tend to be like people pleasing right so you really want people to think well of you for me I'm like people think I'm nicer than I am I bet the fact that people think I'm like all outgoing and extroverted is crazy to me right like that there's I'm like that's not who I am at all so no that's
0: not true I, I beg to differ that's who you are in certain situations sure Yes. right just like being nice like first of all nice is not a thing, nice is a behavior. So we do, we do it or we don't do it. And there are situations in which, you know, you choose not to be nice or you choose to be less nice. Um, so I just, I wanna parse those things right there. And I don't wanna interrupt your, you know, I don't wanna say you're I asked you a question, and I'm like, that's bullshit.
1: No, 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 no. I I, want that's important to say because it, they're good points. It's a good point to say like nice is a behavior uh, because you could be nice all day long and not be kind. Um, but the lazy thing I I don't know the answer to that it is it is part of that personality thing though like that I want people to to think of me as someone who like is competent and capable and being lazy is is the opposite of that so it I don't I don't I don't know. I'm not giving a good answer because I don't know the answer. That's a good question.
0: And you may not have, I'm not saying that you have to have the answer to this. I'm just, you know, it struck me. I've heard other people say that, well, you know, I have to earn my naps. I don't want to be, I don't, I don't, can't be lazy. I don't, I don't understand the concept of laziness in the sense that people who do jobs, people who work, people who take care of their lives, they don't have to hit a certain number of widgets to earn their time off you get to choose where you're going and and are you going to do this are you going to do that I think the concept of laziness to me has always been are you not doing things you could do because it's too much work to do them could do or should do could there's no such thing as a should. I mean, there are some shoulds, right? You shouldn't kill people. You shouldn't push old ladies into the road when buses are coming. Like, there are some things where it's like, okay, are you a decent human? Then here are the list of decent human things. Right. Did you see that, that,
1: that tweet that the National Park Service sent out? <laughs> that was like, you should not shove your friend in front of a bear, even if you think <laughs> your
0: relationship has run its course. Yeah. <laughs> run its course. I sent that to Jen and I was like, I won't. Well, you, that would never happen for you because you would never go hiking. Go, well,
1: good point. <laughs> see. Ooh, Jen can rest easy now. But I do think, but I think like when I say should, I'm like, okay, in your job, you should get your expense report done. You should, you know, stuff like that. But I think a lot of people think that being, and this is, I guess, is we're going off on a tangent because like. No, not really. because. Could you could do a lot of things, and that sometimes that like, if I don't do them, if I don't go above and beyond, then I'm lazy. Quote: I'm putting that in quotes. I'm not. I don't think I am. I don't think people are. Just because you aren't on twelve committees and you know haven't volunteered for thirteen things, and you know are mentoring a billion people, I did your thing. (laughs) That it's a lot of. That's a lot of people. That is a lot of people. But like, if you're doing just your basic job necessities in a lot of corporate worlds, right, like in the corporate world and a lot of, I I think in other worlds too, that means you're, if you're doing the, you're doing the bare minimum, that's quote lazy. That's why I said like, should or could, like, if you're not doing the things that you need to be doing for your job, then yeah, you might be being lazy. But if you're doing those things, but you're not going above and beyond, no, I don't think that's lazy either.
0: Yeah, right. That's my point. Right, and I think that that can translate in over into people's personal lives too, which is, you know, I got to do this and this and that before I can chill out, otherwise I'm lazy. And you could let all of the laundry pile up till you literally have one clean pair of underwear and then do all of your laundry all at once. Or, and this is probably not the most um, environmentally responsible thing to do, you could go through all of your clothes Jump them all at goodwill and buy all new clothes.
1: yeah, that's true.
0: there's no There's no actual right and wrong thing to do here. There are just choices, and they lead to outcomes that you want or lead away from outcomes that you want. right? i do I do agree with you that this perception of busyness is a huge challenge in the working world. It is ve- It's also true in nonprofits. I've had people say to me, Well, they're just doing their job. They're not doing more than their job, and I was like, "We're not paying them to do more than their job, right?" Um, And you know, it's one thing if you're like, "I got to get this in, and I got to stay a couple extra hours." That's different. But if you expect people to work ten or eleven hours when you pay them for eight, that's bullshit.
1: The idea of laziness in the work world is not not anywhere as prevalent in even Europe.
0: I think in like korea and japan they have they have a whole nother relationship with work but i don't think they think of laziness from what i've understood about how that works for people
1: yeah i agree with that
0: that's okay so that really helps me understand that and i think that can cross over into other parts of your life where you think like
1: well and then i was just i don't i don't know if this is a thing i'm just i'm thinking out loud people with anxiety their brains are constantly going. So if your brain is constantly going, you're always thinking of contingency plans. You're always thinking of like, what do I have to do? What do I have to do? What do I have to do? And then your body is not doing those things. If you're not executing on those things, I wonder if that disconnect is what causes this idea of laziness and how it is such a negative emotion or a negative thought for,
0: for people with anxiety that's that's really insightful because we know that your brain and your body when they're out of sync right it creates some version of garbage feelings whatever that is right yes, you're yes, sort of yes. stuck in this garbage limbo yes and whether that's you know the tension between rage and discontent and gratitude or the I'm my body's ready to go but I'm not doing anything and so you know that sort of feeling of like being activated then not doing anything feels like But I'm supposed to be doing stuff right now right
1: yeah right right and that's why even like when people with anxiety when you talk about like flight fight freeze fawn I don't freeze I don't freeze I because again like my brain is going I have already figured out how to escape the tiger and where I have to, you know, like it just is, it's just constantly turning over. Yeah. I think it It feels very, again, I keep using this term, like, but like diametrically opposed, even when, you know, I started running to keep my weight under control. Um, So it was several years ago, but I run now um, and it's, it's, therapy but it's not therapy in the way that it's like oh I'm totally zen when I come home but there it I'm doing something with my body that even if I'm and I I don't have I and this drives me I don't know the science behind this but you know if I am anxious I'm having ruminating thoughts I'm having intrusive thoughts I just am turning stuff over in my brain and I run for an hour I will be thinking about that thing and still ruminating, still turning it over in my brain for an hour that I'm running, but I come home feeling better. Otherwise the anxiety like leaches out of me and there's a place I'm using my body in a way I'm connecting my head and brain, I guess. I I don't know why, but there is something about having anxiety when I'm running that somehow it feels better when I get home.
0: That makes a lot of sense. I mean, like I talked about having this anger ball, right? And that I could just hold it and throw it at people and that the release of that anger is really cathartic and I'm comfortable with it. I hold it and you know, I'm like, it's warm and it, I love it. It's my little anger ball yeah. um, for a big anger ball. But I can <laughs> see right, the anxiety, the, oh my God, there's a tiger. Well, if you're running, that is the appropriate response. To having a tiger even if you're still like how the hell am i going to get away from this tiger the appropriate response to a threat flight is an appropriate response right. to a threat
1: it's something physical right either you're fighting or you're flighting that's not a word or you're flying <laughs> or you're doing like fawning you're doing something to like appease the other person so those are the two things i do i run and then i i'm a fawner it annoys my i annoy myself when I have an anxiety situation socially. So I do not have social anxiety, right? Social anxiety is a little bit different where people like just won't go outside because they're-
0: The idea of being with people gives them anxiety. Yeah,
1: Exactly. I have a situation. I love people. I love talking, but if it gets overwhelming, I get fawny and it, I just- overcompensate and I like try to be really too funny and I, I talk more and it's like I'm so other people don't tell me I'm annoyed but or that I'm annoying but I annoy myself because I, I'm like oh I'm doing that thing so yeah those are kind of the, the two things that I do to I, I fly and I
0: fawn I've seen you do that before and that's actually really eye-opening for me to be like oh that's what's happening Um, In this situation. And
1: then what do I say to you? I always go, I'm being really loud, aren't I? Like I call myself out before anyone else does.
0: Yeah, but there's a difference, right? Being loud is like, okay, you're being loud. I'm also loud. Um, But what you're not asking about being loud or that's not the real question you have. Correct. The real question is, am I overdoing it?
1: Am I being annoying? Right. Am I overdoing it? Am I being too much? If I'm drinking and then the next morning I'll have anxiety hangover? my first question to Brian is always like, did I embarrass myself or did I do something annoying? Did I make myself a fool?
0: That explanation makes so much sense to me, having been in those situations with you numerous times and being like, like, it, like if you're at an eight, that's when you go to like an 11. In those situations, you go to an 11. I'm like, what just happened here? Yes. Yes.
1: And I'm aware. <laughs> well, and I imagine you are. And the awareness is worse actually. Like the awareness is like, oh my God. See, I was right to be anxious about that. Like it's that, that feedback mechanism that's actually the problem.
0: Well, the hilarious thing about this, hilarious, I put that in quotes, the hilarious thing about those feedback mechanisms is that you can't disprove them by doing the same thing. Right. Right. You know, you've heard me say like before, well, People only want me around to solve their problems. And then when they're done, they're like, right. The confirmation bias kicks in. Let me find the ways in which this story is true. And then let me keep doing it again and again, because I have to do it. So it's not like, so that it doesn't become true. This is
1: funny because Anushka had this thing in her head that she was like, Dada, you drink beer every day. And he's like, that is, like, not true. And I'm not just <laughs> saying, like, that is just fundamentally not true. He does not drink beer every day. And he doesn't even like beer as his, like, go-to drink. So we don't have that much beer in the house for him to drink every day. I would, we would notice. <laughs> and and then um, when she sees him drink a beer, she'll be like, see, 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 you're drinking beer. But, like, she doesn't point out the times that he's not drinking beer. Right? Exactly. Exactly yeah, if I'm being too loud or I'm being over the top, Brian might like squeeze my knee or you might say like, you're being a little loud or something, but no one's coming around me every hour and being like, you're being perfect. You're not being annoying at all. Like no one is doing that. So all I'm hearing, even if it's once every six months
0: is you're being too loud. You only pay right. You're only the, the only things that trip your wire are the, Things that you're looking for. Yeah,
1: and then that feeds my severe anxiety about looking like an idiot.
0: And being I'm too being loud too much, and yeah, being too like,
1: much. Yeah, do you remember six months ago? It And I have such a memory. And I was like, on July 30th, she, she told me that I was being a little bit loud. <laughs> so now it's middle of March and I must be being too loud.
0: Yeah, yeah, no, I can I can understand. One thing I really am amazed about you is you have... And this... Works to your advantage in, in many situations, I imagine, but also really works to your disadvantage. And I do know this about people, at least the three people I, I know who have, like who I'm deeply connected with who have anxiety is this tendency to remember details and to think about every detail that happened, right? So uh, listeners, if you don't know, I have a crap memory. I have a really bad memory. But if you think back to the, to the episode that we did with Shane about having ADD and the light bulbs that were going off in my head, uh, I probably have some, some threshold of ADD. So my memory is actually pretty crap and I'm hundred percent aware of that, but Kosha's memory is fantastic. And not just like, I remember on this day that we did, you know, we went out to dinner, like I remember where you were sitting and you were wearing this and then then this person came up like the kind of like if you were watching a movie basically.
1: Yeah yes and and I definitely think like so anxiety is all about living in the future and I think that definitely there's a lot of like rumination about the past and their stuff that I will ruminate on and I will circle the drain on in stuff that's like, I said that thing right six years ago and that oh God, I just sounded it's rolodexing stuff that happened in the past, in which to say that then it won't happen again. Like I guess that's that's the that's the part that connects like the details from the past to the future. So if I'm in that exact same situation, I shouldn't say that thing. Which, who knows, maybe that thing would, was not that bad six years ago. And maybe that is the correct thing to say next time it happens. Chances are that's not ever going to happen again. So, so like, there's no real reason to live in those details or that memory. Yeah, definitely it's come in handy sometimes. It's also creeped people out sometimes where I was like, oh, don't, didn't you have those two golden retrievers? Like, their names were Amber and Austin. And they're like, you should not know that. Like, why do you remember that? And I've even reminded people of something that has happened. Yes.
0: Yes. That's happened between you and I many times. <laughs> remember that time that blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I mean, vaguely. Right. I brought
1: something up to some a friend of mine the other day. I was like, oh my God, one of my favorite stories is when you told me about when your kid did such and such and such and such. And they're like, yeah, my kid is now going to college. So can you forget <laughs> about that one story? I definitely think that's about Rolodexing every experience so I can, I can uh, access those memories and those experiences to make sure that shit doesn't happen again
0: in the future. Has that ever happened to you? Where thinking about something that happened in the past and dissecting it and redissecting it has helped you avoid doing the same thing in the future.
1: I mean, it, in a way that's like, okay, I remember when in work, let's say this doctor did not like that I went down this path, uh, so I'm not going to do that again, or they didn't like being challenged in this way, so I won't do that again. But those are learned experiences. That's not what right. you're saying.
0: No, that's called learning. Yes, That's called learning. And not- I tried something. It didn't work out. I'm not going to do I mean, that try again. Else. Right.
1: That's just being a human person. Yes. Right? And even dogs do that. They're like, I don't want <laughs> right? Like I have to go pee outside so I don't get in trouble. Whatever. Yeah. So that's um and cats can do that. They just don't.
0: Right. Well cats don't care. Which is, you know
1: That's that's also learning. Yeah, I know <laughs> what my name is. Don't worry about it. But not to my knowledge, not to my memory, which is as we just said, pretty good. That I that ruminating on something made it not happen. No. I mean, I don't remember.
0: I'm not trying to be an ass here. I'm like our listeners probably maybe don't know, but it's worth reminding them that generalized anxiety disorder is not something I struggle with. Right. It's not. It's not in my headspace. I mean, I don't have a memory, so it would be very hard for me to do this particular thing. <laughs> you know. But secondly, my sisters have heard me say my family, she's like I don't really care what people think about me. Right. Like it's not like I want to be hated, but you know, if someone. Doesn't have a great experience with me. I, I don't spend a lot of time thinking about that.
1: And I, I I envy that. I will say I really love that about you and people like you. And I'll say Brian is the exact same way. He's like, I'll be like, oh, my God, that person's going to be mad. And Brian's like, OK, even about his own parents. Right. I'll be like, your mom is going to be upset that you didn't blah, blah, blah and do this. And then he's like, they could be upset. That's all right.
0: And I was like, What? It's someone else's choice whether or not to be upset. It's someone else's choice whether or not how to engage with me. So, yeah.
1: And the other thing that both of you, but you definitely, and I, and I envy this, is when somebody brings something up to you, and I, I bring this up for a reason. If someone was like, hey, that didn't land with me when you said X, Y, Z, you're like, huh, talk to me about that. And then you'll, you'll either apologize or explain. If someone comes to me and says they're upset with me about something that I had said, I will, oh my God, anxiety spiral. That's like, I did, I didn't mean to, they think I hurt their feelings on purpose. Like it, I, I annoyed them. I, this is, I'm very concerned clearly about annoying people, um, that, that then it, it becomes like shame versus like guilt. Like, oh, I, I'm i sorry that I said that. You know, I am guilty of saying that thing and I will try to be better next time. And then for me, it's more like, oh my God, that person now thinks like an asshole or that I did that on purpose yeah. or, and I it's very hard for me to take criticism because of my anxiety. Yeah.
0: I mean, I think there is a huge difference between I fucked up and I'm a fuck up.
1: Right. Yes.
0: That- but- you know, the finder fixer in me is like, let's, let's find ways to deal with this, but that's not what we're here to do. We're here to just <laughs> talk about it and, and, you know, sort of like give people a glimpse into what, you know, what anxiety feels like for you, how you live through it um, and, and sort of how you manage it. So we kind of stopped a little bit there on the, you know, sort of chronological journey. Are, are there other points in your life where you're like, wow, that was a big thing. Wow. That was a big thing where, it went from this is fine or where the anxiety ramped up in a way that you go, oh, something's really off.
1: Yes, things were pretty well managed for me. Um, a lot of it was just shoving things away until Nandita. So I had a situation, I will not go into all of the details. Um, the woman, this woman came into our life that uh, essentially was she was a pathological liar and a fraud and she was you know running ponzi schemes and things and we lost some money now uh, I then started having severe almost nightly panic attacks and I would wake up my and, and like they talk about all of the symptoms where so this I was married uh, we didn't have our kid yet. This is now going on about 10 years ago. All of the things that people talk about with anxiety, panic is is just that to the thousandth level, right? And so I would wake up, my heart would be racing. I would be in cold. I would be sweating. I wouldn't be able to breathe. I was hyperventilating. I My stomach. So uh, we know that anxiety does cause physiological changes in the body. And my go-to, like, my body, I have that, like, tight knot in my stomach. So I would wake up with this almost nightly. And at one point, Brian was so unable to deal, like, not deal, but, like, I was so unable to calm myself.
0: He couldn't help you. He could not
1: help me. I was hyperventilating. And he said, "Uh, I'm going to take you to the ER. And it was like two o'clock in the morning and hearing that helped me snap myself, like at least pull myself back enough that I'm like, I don't want to go to the ER. Right. Like I, I don't need that. Or I was able to pull myself back from that, like really just horrible space. But at that point I was like, this is very bad. Like I, it was like a good two weeks solid of that. And then when he was like, I guess we have to go to the ER. I don't know what else to do. Then I went to the doctor soon after that and, uh, got on meds. And so that happened in 2012. Then I got pregnant and came off of the meds, which, you know, getting pregnant was a whole different, you know, set of anxiety circumstances, but I got pregnant. I had to come off the meds and, I went back on soon after I stopped breastfeeding or stopped trying to breastfeed, but also like, you know, people with anxiety, they, they should all over themselves as you and I have said several times and getting pregnant was miserable. Um, staying pregnant was
0: miserable. Everything about your pregnancy, Yeah, being
1: pregnant was miserable. Yeah,
0: It was uh, really tough.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was really, really tough. Actually, interestingly, like everything leading up to my labor and delivery was miserable and then my labor and delivery was so easy. I pushed three times and she, I think she was like, please don't leave me in a field somewhere because I've <laughs> given you such a hard time. Yeah, <laughs> like I'll make this part really easy. So there was a lot of anxiety being like, I should be able to get pregnant. That is what my body should be able to do. I should be able to stay pregnant. I should not be bleeding during my pregnancy. My placenta can't even be in the right place. I had placenta previa. So it's like, there's a lot of like, my body is not working how it should. Then I had the baby, and then she breastfed like, as you called her, an asshole. She was a terrible breastfeeder, and my body was not, but also I didn't produce milk very well at all. I have very, very low milk supply. And so again, I had anxiety over, my body is not working. This should work. And so the one really wonderful thing about not being able to breastfeed was that I ended up stopping, even trying to breastfeed. Uh, about a month in, about four, almost five weeks in, or four weeks out of giving birth. And I went back on my meds right away. Yeah. Yeah. Right away. And I've been really properly medicated for the past eight years, eight and a half years. And I mean, the one thing is if I miss my meds and I'll tell the story because you were uh, directly involved, I will have I will have breakthrough anxiety within 36 72 hours and one time so at one point my anxiety meds I take Lexapro it looked really like my singular like the pills cuz I take generics so it changes sometimes and my pills looked really really similar and so I had them all in you know my pill pack and I didn't realize that I was out of my Lexapro I thought I was out of my singular Cause I am so on top of my meds, you know, people are like, I don't, I shouldn't have to be medicated or I shouldn't need that. And I was like, if your body doesn't make it, then store-bought is fine. Yeah. People who are diabetic, no one's like, well, you shouldn't need to take insulin. No, but my body's not making it. So I'm going to get it from the outside. So I'm very much like pro meds when it comes to that. And I, so I ended up inadvertently skipping my, my Lexapro for three days and I didn't realize it. I was driving home from like, it was like North of O'Hara. So I had a good hour in the car and I started having a severe anxiety attack in the car Mm -hmm. and it was getting to a point, my heart was racing. I was not hyperventilating, but I was like, really, I I was ramped all the way up. And, um, I, my vision was starting to like tunnel vision Uh and I was like, I remember calling you and you were at work and this is when you were actually in an office. And I was like, I'm having a severe anxiety attack. And you're like, what do you need? And I said, it's, I, it's, and I at least was where I was like, it's too late to get me back down. I just have to get myself through this, but you need to talk to me. So I don't get an accident. Like you need to talk to me until I get to my house.
0: Yeah. I do remember that.
1: I just needed distraction at that point.
0: Right. It was like, can you talk to me about anything? Anything. So I'm not in spinning in my head. Right. So I don't even remember what I talked to you about. It was No, like it some didn't random matter. Thing. It
1: didn't matter. But I, it wasn't like, let's talk about your anxiety. What's going on? What are you feeling? Like, don't even talk. I, we're beyond that. Like, I feel like I'm about to die. No, it was
0: storm. like, I remember telling you some like random, like, well, let me tell you what's going on with, you know, the kiddos or like, like just some story. Oh, my, I'm like, yeah, just right. Whatever it was. <laughs> Yeah. Like I
1: ordered groceries today. It doesn't matter. It was like, at that point it was distraction. Um, so I didn't actually like harm myself or somebody else in the car, uh, with the car on accident. But, um, and then like, I have never skipped a pill since then because it is, I am too vulnerable of that steady state. I'm too vulnerable. And I, I mean, that was what, four or five years ago. And I, yeah, I've yeah. never skipped a pill since then. Ever.
0: Um, I know that even with the daily dose of Lexapro, you still have moments where the anxiety kind of peeks through. Oh yeah, is that manageable, or or is it something that you've thought maybe I should get something else to help manage these breakthrough episodes?
1: Yeah, I. It, that's a good question. Um, for a long time, I thought it was manageable, and then, I, and then it wasn't. I said something to you or somebody I was like so you you don't worry all the time like I couldn't
0: oh it was probably me
1: but I also know that you you don't have anxiety but I I guess I had this like kind of existential crisis moment where I'm like not everyone
0: worries all the
1: time right yeah and that I couldn't imagine what it would feel like if I didn't worry I I, I don't know what that means how do you not? worry. What does that feel like? People don't just walk around with a little bit of a knot in their stomach all the time. And when I had that conversation with my doctor, she was like, well, it really comes down for you. It really comes down to like, is it, is it getting in the way of your life? And I said, sometimes, right? Like my Lexapro actually does, does a good job of at least making it a little more passive. It's not like the worry is like, oh my God, I gotta do something about this all the time now that my body is so primed to have anxiety sometimes like for example if i i had to stop drinking coffee and for a long time i was like oh it's fine i could drink coffee i don't want to cut it out but what i realized was when my so you get that like kind of it ramps you up it 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 it, it's you energized right it it mimics a lot it's a stimulant right it's a stimulant right So your brain's going, your body's going. And then my body was like, oh, this is how we feel. This is how our body feels when we're having an anxiety attack. So then it would cause an anxiety attack post facto, right? Like because my body was feeling these like ramped up symptoms, my brain was like, we must be in a, we must be being attacked by a tiger. And so I cut out caffeine. Also... I started taking propranolol. It started with twice a day and now I'm down to once a day and as needed, which is a blood pressure medication. It's a very, very, it's not even used for blood pressure anymore because it's, it doesn't, it's, it's very, very soft. It's not a, it's not a very strong beta blocker, but it's enough to uh, shut off those um, sympathetic, that sympathetic nervous system. So my stomach unclenches. My, you know, heart rate comes down. My vessels dilate, and it's not. It it cuts off the the physical kind of feedback to my brain, so I, it doesn't then end up kicking me into an anxiety attack. And that's that's gone a long way. It's gone wow, long
0: way. that's awesome.
1: And then I'm in therapy. And then yeah. sometimes you know I run, and sometimes it just comes down to like realizing that. You're doing all of the things that you can, and that uh, this is who you are, and it's about processing those things. So,
0: this is part of who you are. You're obviously so much more than a big ball of anxiety, an anxious ball, not an anger ball.
1: (laughs) Yes, yes, yes. But my anxiety ball, I like can't throw it, people. Like it just like gets in my stomach. Your anxiety
0: ball is like a cannonball that you're holding on your chest.
1: You know what I? I think it's really important it's really important to realize the stigma that's still happening with anxiety. And that, and I've given this example before, and it's the truth. It's like, like when I was driving home, I'm, I've driven that, that path a gazillion times. There was nothing about that drive home that was worrisome at all. And I had a a severe anxiety attack where I'm like, I'm going to die in this car. It's important to note that our, people with anxiety with generalized anxiety disorder specifically that I could speak to it really it is not just worrying it is all of those other things the ruminating thoughts the intrusive thoughts the the inability to shut it off and the fact that the worry gets in the way of your life it is a physiological response so you know imagine you're sitting in your room and a tiger walks in that that's what my body is doing almost all the time. I'm responding, my, my hormones and my physiology, my neurotransmitters are responding in the same way as if a tiger just walked in. And that does get in the way of your life. And so when someone says like, why don't you just try not to, have you, my favorite is when people go, have you tried not to think about it? Have you, have I tried not to worry? If you think about, like, have you tried not to, I don't know, if you tried not to have diabetes? Like, it just, to me, it sounds so, like, ludicrous to be like, have I tried? Of course I've tried not to worry. No one is like, I want to be worried. Of course I've tried to calm down. Of course I've tried. People who are depressed, of course they've tried not to feel despair. We've tried those things, trust me.
0: No, I I totally believe that. That's absolutely true. A big part of that is because people don't actually know what they're talking about, right? Right. Yes. Because for people who don't have general anxiety, generalized anxiety disorder, anxiety is I have this big test coming up. I have to give speech. There's there's something that's very discreet you know, I can point to this thing to be like, this is what I'm worried about. This is the thing that's making me anxious.
1: And, and sometimes being like having anxiety about a thing that like, I have a big test coming up. I have to do well. That's a, that's a motivating thing. That's like, okay, I need to do well. So I'm going to study. So I'm, you're doing things to make, to ensure that that happens well for you in the future. The problem is when you're doing that constantly, about nothing about nothing. Correct.
0: Correct. And so, I mean, for people who haven't really struggled with anxiety in a sort of ongoing chronic physiological way, I imagine that's what they're thinking, which is like, don't try not to be focused on that thing. Because the more you think about that thing, the more stressed out you're getting, which is true for people who, and it's also not true, like in the sense, which is like, you can try not to think about it, but we all know that our thoughts go where our thoughts go and we can distract, we can distract ourselves, but they're going to end up where they want to end up because, because we're people and we cannot be vigilant on our minds every second.
1: At two o'clock in the morning, if I'm, if I'm having an anxiety attack, you know, Brian will be like, well, you can't do anything. This was a long time ago when he didn't understand what was going on either, but like, well, you can't do anything about it until tomorrow. Right? Like, yeah, I have a meeting with my manager at nine o'clock. I'm so anxious about it. And um, he said, you know, he would be like, well, you can't do anything about it until tomorrow. Anyway, what are you going to do at 2 o'clock in the in 2 a.m.? And I'm like, that, and so that logic doesn't fit, right? Like, and if I take a step back, like you were saying, when has that ever stopped something bad from happening, right? When I take a step back and I see the logic pieces, absolutely. And I could, I, that's the advice I would give someone else. But the logic puzzle is on a different plane than my anxiety puzzle is. And so my anxiety puzzle is like, if I shove all these pieces together in all of the ways that possibly can be shoved together, I will know what all of those pictures might look like tomorrow. And I will be prepared for anything that happens during that meeting if I think about every way that these puzzle pieces can go together.
0: But in your experience, do you find that the thing that you end up focusing on is something that you attach anxiety to because it's something to focus on. Like, as opposed to being like, I'm just anxious about the world. You know, we had this conversation today where you're like, well, I might have to do this. And I'm like, well, are you anxious about having to do that? Or are you anxious because that's a thing that you can be anxious about when really you're anxious, when when the situation is so much bigger than, well, I might have to do this one thing. I think that doing
1: something or acting on something is gonna make that thing like easier or better. So what I will say is sometimes I do that without realizing it. Though for for this case, you know, we might have to buy a car because of something else. The something else I have no control over right now, but the buying the car thing, I can go on AutoTrader, I can go on CarMax, I can look at cars. There's an activity associated with helping that anxiety ramp down it feels like I'm doing something. And so yes, that is like me attaching because like you can get a car
0: for, you can get a car.
1: like, you could just get a car and it'll be fine. Right. But I, the other thing that it's attached to, like, I can't control that right now. And there's not even anything I can do to like pass the time. And so then it's just me sitting in my anxiety and that is very very difficult and one of the hardest things that i deal with is when my anxiety comes on you know the whole idea of generalized anxiety disorder is like for little to no reason that's actually like in the description for little to no reason people who are very close to me in my life have stopped asking which is great because i'm like i'm having anxiety the first thing that you want to ask and i get it the first thing that people want to ask is like for what what happened what's going on and the most frustrating thing for me is to be like, I don't know. I don't know why it just is intruding in my brain. And I wish I knew why, because then at least I could recognize it. I could deal with it. I could put it aside or at least be like, yeah, that's a tiger.
0: I, you know, th- but there's this real, I think human need, right? We, we do this a lot and we do this in all kinds of things, Right. Why am I having an asthma attack? Oh, there's pollen in the air. Maybe it's maybe it's for literally no reason at all. Yes. Um, but having something tangible to say, like, well, X is causing Y, it it helps. I think could just be a part of our human need to explain things that are happening to us and around us. And so, you know, that also, I mean, maybe that gets back a little bit to like when people say, what are you anxious about? Like on one hand, you could, you say, you don't know because you don't know because it, and you've gotten really good at recognizing what's happening to you. But if someone's not that aware, they might be like, oh, I have to buy, I'm going to have to buy a car. Well, you're right. It One, doing something is both distracting, right? So if, even if you're looking for a car, you're like, well, I'm not thinking about the big, I'm not thinking about the big picture here. I'm like, I'm looking for a car. Oh, look at that. I don't want a blue car. I want a green car, whatever it is, right? Yes. It's a distracting yes. thing, but you're right. It also does feel like you're doing something and it could be helpful in the future. You don't know, but like, if you, if you end up needing to buy a car, then the research that you would have done, the looking online, blah, 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 will be helpful. And you'll feel like, well, I got ahead of that a little bit. Yes, exactly. And I
1: think like the worst thing for me is being caught unawares. Like, okay, so if all of this stuff happens and we have to buy a car and I have not prepared for that at all, like now I'm scrambling and scrambling to me means I'm going to miss something. Mm. That means I haven't done my research. I haven't been able to lay everything out and I'm scrambling, which means something's going to get missed. And I'm not gonna make the right decision.
0: Mm-hmm. And then people will think I'm a bad person.
1: People will be like, why did you buy that car? That was a dumb decision. Yeah. Eg- exactly. Exactly.
0: It's it's eye-opening for me that if that somehow everything comes back to what will people think about me? Like if you buy a dumb car, then you buy a dumb car, but it's not you're not a car person. You're not the kind of person that really deeply cares about the kind of car that they drive. Yeah. So correct. You're like any any number of cars would be fine for me. Does it run? Does it have air conditioning, heating? You know, does it does it have a butt warmer? I think that's a big thing for you. I need a a car that's fully functional and it needs to have butt heat. And yet you're really concerned if you make the right decision.
1: Right. Because here's 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 a little thing about me.
0: I know things. Like that, that
1: I think that my value comes from knowing things. Yes. So when people think that I don't know something, or I think people think that I don't know something, wow. Uh, that brings me a lot of anxiety because that's like identity stuff.
0: Oh yeah. I can, I absolutely understand that.
1: So it's like, if I make the wrong, quote, wrong decision about a car and someone goes like, why'd you buy that car? And I'm like, I don't know. Like if I don't have the answer for exactly why I bought that car in, in a way that's acceptable, then that, that's very anxiety.
0: I get that. And you, I'm going to point out that you cannot know everything about everything. Do you care
1: to know everything about cars? No, no. <laughs> and that's a crazy thing. Like there's that show um, American auto, which is new on NBC new ish. And, Anna Gasteyer is, she plays a CEO of this huge, like Ford like company. And um, it's so funny because they make cars and she doesn't know how to drive. And she doesn't even like cars. She doesn't even think they're very cool. <laughs> she doesn't know how to drive. And I was like, that's kind of me. I'm like, I drive so for utility. And uh, if the car is affordable and it runs and I won't get stranded on the highway somewhere, I'm good. You know, and it's funny because like you just got, like your husband is really into cars and uh, Brian's. Brother is really into cars, and when they get new cars, they want to like show them off and be like, "Oh, come look at my new car!" And I was like, mm-hmm, "That's a car. It's got doors and a steering wheel." Like, I don't, I will go look at your car because you're excited about looking at your car, but I do not need to see the car, right? Exactly. But yeah, like, but if someone asks me something that's not personal or not something I quote should know that I ought to know, I don't care. I don't have. I don't like if someone asked me about Bulgaria. And I was like, I'm not Bulgarian and I've never been there. I don't know. I don't have anxiety that someone's going to be like, you don't know about Bulgaria. But if someone asked me about like running or bats or a math question or a science question or about, you know, schizophrenia and I don't know, that is like, but I sh- should know this. And uh, that's where I start getting the anxiety about what people think about me.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, I can see that. Is there something that you wish I had asked you that I haven't asked?
1: I think about, you know, the people in my life that know how to talk to me when I'm in anxiety spirals, which doesn't happen as much anymore because I am in therapy and I, you know, I am medicated and I'm very aware. I, I think that's one of the things that's, that I have now, that I have now that I didn't have, let's say 20 years ago there are a few people who know how to talk to me and I'm not going to say that like, you know, how to talk to anxious people, but you have three people in your life who have anxiety, you, for example, and um, you talk to each of us really differently. And I think that that's really important for people to realize is that, while you know, it's called generalized anxiety disorder. And like, yes, there are some really similar things between me and the other people in your life who, you know, have anxiety it is really, really specific to the person and that it's triggered by different things and and things like that. But I think when you find the people, and this is not my advice, but like when you find it's just a matter of fact statement is like, when you find the people who know how to talk to you and how to work around with, through your anxiety, um, it, it's just, it's, it's as good as therapy and it's as important as meds a few years ago right before the pandemic a friend of mine was annoyed with me Mm. (laughs) something happened she was annoyed and I knew she was annoyed and I went to like oh my god like I guess that like that friendship was nice like I went to I guess we're not gonna be friends anymore because like and it sounds so childish to say it now like just because you have one fight doesn't mean anything. And I talked to you about it. And instead uh, so telling someone with anxiety that like, that's a dumb thing to worry about. Don't worry about that. That's just not going to be helpful. Mm-hmm. But you knew me enough to know, like, you know, I'm, I'm super logical. I can actually use my head through these things. And so you were, I remember so vividly you go, okay, well, do you not get, annoyed with your friends sometimes and I was like oh yeah all the time like yes and then you said so why aren't why aren't other people allowed to be annoyed with you right and and then you said and if you're annoyed with a friend do you just cut them out of your life like you would have no friends and it really got me to to be able to ramp down to the fact that I could actually like think about it so I think that that it's just really important. Like if you love someone with anxiety to um, know how they work and how they tick and what, and what does get through to them? Because I can imagine that like somebody else by saying that, that wouldn't work. If you think about like, just like all diabetes meds aren't good for all diabetics that just, if you can find the way to cut through it and at least Jar it a little bit. And then, for the people with anxiety to then, like for me, I'm like, okay, there are these three people that I have to listen to when I'm in an anxiety spiral because they know how to talk to me. And so it, it's like that really two-sided relationship in terms of being someone with anxiety and then loving someone with anxiety is is be the safe person and then go to the safe people when you're in that space. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's just, I just, that story makes me laugh.
0: Well, the end of that story is particularly funny.
1: You're like being annoyed with people is normal. Like you get to be annoyed with people. Like we're all human. People are going to do things that annoy you. And you said like in, in our family, everybody in our family has annoyed me sometime this week. And your point was like, and I'm not cutting them off, but I cut you off. And I go, even me, when have you been annoyed with me? And you go, does right now count? And it made me laugh so hard. And again, that was the way that you cut through. You made me stop. You made me stop and realize like how ridiculous that sounded. People with things that, and we still say that, like, does right now count? We'll say that all the time. And it's, it's become like part of our family. (laughs) Yeah. It could be anything. And it's like, does right now count? Like one of the things that helped me was going so people with anxiety think like they if they worry enough, they will be able they're special somehow in terms of how people perceive them. And if they worry enough, they'll stop the bad things from happening. And what you did in that moment was go, you're not that special. You're not the only one who gets cut off when you annoy people. But you also are going to annoy people because everybody does. And so that was really, that was really helpful to me. And, and you did it in a way that was like funny and sisterly and, you know, does right now count is like suddenly as years later, I still go back to that. Does right now count? It actually helps me.
0: Another, you know, really good friend of mine in, in the, you know, in, in the midst of something like that was, was really, really struggling and, and trying to figure out like, I don't know how I'm going to find my way forward from this. And I said, what if this is the worst day? What if this is the worst moment in the rest of your life? And things have gotten better and worse. But to ask yourself, like, what if this is the worst possible, worst it could possibly get, right? The mm-hmm. same way as like, you know, does right now count? Like just to be able like that reminder. Yes,
1: yes. yes. You know,
0: that little phrase or reminder that like, Things are not going to be awful forever. I am capable of getting through this. I'm not so special that people would stop being friends with me when I annoy them. And if they did, then also go like, if they did, isn't that a them problem? If they expect their friends not to ever annoy them, they're shitty friends. They don't know how, what being a friend is, yes. right?
1: And then it's so, it like, we saw each other, me and this friend saw each other a couple months later, and I go, oh yeah, I remember that thing. And she literally was like, vaguely
0: yeah right and I was like what what do you mean vaguely (laughs) you know it's like you know what you'd said earlier about like wait other people don't worry about things constantly is that if you assume that other people are are their headspace exactly your headspace she would also have been thinking about this thing for months And, and this I think this is like the life lesson of everybody right People actually don't care that much about other people. They really only care about themselves and they think about themselves all the time. They might have a passing interaction with you and they might be like, oh, that's weird. Right. And then or like she didn't seem to know what she was talking about. And then it's gone. Right. Like then they're not they're not constantly thinking about how you didn't answer a question about why you bought this car or that question was, you know, unsatisfactory to them. But if you, if you think that they're going to react that way to the way you react, then you will think the person keeps thinking about this and, oh my God, what must they think of me? Because they're constantly running this tape in their head about, I didn't know, I haven't didn't have a good answer for buying a car. Yeah. And the anxiety, the anxiety hangover
1: is a perfect example because like, okay, so I'm concerned that I said something embarrassing or I, you know, I did something or said something when I was drunk. How many drunk people have done stupid things and said stupid things to me (laughs) and my friends, my sister, like we all do and say stupid things when we're drunk. I don't hold that against them. Why am I so special that I think that someone else is going to hold that against me? How many times have like, you've had friends say something so ridiculous when they're drunk. And then you're like, the next day you're like, oh, they're drunk. Like you, you, you let that roll off your back. I why am I so special? Like that has really become something where I'm like, I, I it helps ground me. And you said something about like, you know, being able to kind of say something like, if is this the worst day? If, what if this is the worst day? And I think that um, in my version, you know, it's the grounding exercises that's like, are you safe right now? Right? Are you in a, So in the car, when I had to call you, I was not safe. And it was not because I was actually getting attacked by a tiger, but the tiger in my brain was gonna cause me to do something. normal and that's why like I've started you know saying like in this moment am I safe? because anxiety lives in the future and that tiger is walking into your room in your head and if you can go like get the tiger out of your brain and just go like, am I safe right now it can at least offload some of that anxiety some of that immediate, you know, freeze, flight, fun, whatever. I definitely have a lot left to unpack. I, I was definitely a, an anxious kid and um, I have a lot of like resentment and frustration and, and things like that. I have a long way to go to figure out how to ramp down my stress levels and also live with the anxiety and process it versus trying to shove it away because it doesn't actually get better that way. But I've come... I've also come a very long way with the awareness and and being open to talk about it and and you know, even at work, I I told I told my boss, my current boss, you know, if he this is you go to the worst possible thing, he'll call me and he won't leave a message, and I'll in the past I'd be like, oh my god, I'm getting fired, like that must be why he's calling me for no reason. And so I told him that I have anxiety and I just freak out when you call and you don't leave a message. So now if he calls me, he will text me if I, if I can't answer the phone, he'll text me and be like, no worries. I just need to talk to you about such and such. Mm -hmm. And so like, I've gotten a lot better with like asking for what I need to help alleviate some of those things. And and that's, that's a big, that's a
0: big step. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. Uh, So my question to you, my penultimate question. Oh, I finally get to ask the final question. This is going to be awesome. I get to say two things that you always get to say. Yeah. (laughs) uh, Yes. And then you don't have to explain what familact is. Yes. Right. Um, So the penultimate question, the second to last question that I get to always get to ask everyone is what advice do you have for someone who thinks they might be anxious, knows that they have anxiety disorder, is in the middle of a, a panic attack, which as we know can... Can be associated with general anxiety disorder or just people can have panic attacks other Oh, yeah, or other absolutely. Reasons, right? Yes, yes,
1: yes. So, uh, for someone who just is having a panic attack, I will definitely say um, identify one or two. And this is not for like people who have generalized anxiety disorder, but people who are just like, okay, oh, I like feel like I'm gonna die, is have one or two grounding exercises. And I know that sounds like so therapy, but therapy. Have one or two exercises that are able to ratchet you down. A lot of do, people do like the five, four, three, two, one, five things you could see, four things you can hear, three things you could touch, that kind of thing. Again, it really comes down to you have to force your brain to realize it's not about to die. You have to force your brain to then tell your body that there's no tiger in the room. And that will happen if you realize with your eyes and your ears and everything that you're safe because you're in the future. You have to pull yourself back to the present. So I would definitely say in just a practical way, if you're having a severe anxiety attack or panic attack to ground yourself in that way and, and real force your brain to tell your body that you're not in danger in that moment, you're safe. Um, for people with anxiety disorder, and again, I can only speak to generalized anxiety disorder I would definitely say like for a long time I thought that the purpose of my meds and my therapy was to make the anxiety go away and I've realized that that's not that's not going to happen and that's not the point the point is to process it and to move through it and I realized that when I was talking to a friend of mine who had some trauma past trauma, parents didn't uh, address it when they were younger and stuff like that. And she was like, "I'm just so worried that I see that anxiety and that like Trump those trauma responses in my nephew. And I just don't want them to grow up like I am, is what she said. And I was like, well, but your your response to it, is different for him. You're not throwing it away. You're not pushing it away. You're not packing it away. You're pro you're helping him process it. And that was my realization where I'm like, okay, so and some people can take meds and do therapy and they just aren't anxious anymore. That is not me. So realizing that my sometimes, sometimes, many times, the purpose of all of the behaviors that you're doing. To help you is not to make the problem go away, but to make it palatable and make it tangible and make it workable, and help you navigate the world with it instead of trying to put it down or trying to shove it away. You know, and I think Kate came up with that. Kate Phillips said, um, "Well, you know, like guilt is like a bag of bricks; you just have to put them down." Anxiety, my anxiety is not like that. It is, I cannot put it down, but what I can do is get, strap it on real tight, you know, like get, get a harness. I can, somebody can be next to me helping lift it up a little bit that I'm never going to be able to put my anxiety down and walk away. My, my job with my anxiety is to process it.
0: If you take it, if you take the word anxiety out, and you put issue or challenge in, that is good advice for us all. You said it. (laughs) It is, right? I'm never not gonna be a cancer survivor. I will never not live with that shadow over my back shoulder. And I will never not have this, you know, some of the symptoms associated with the meds I'm on and whatever, you know, but what can I do? Can I pretend like it doesn't exist? Well, I could, but that's not gonna help me. And I can't really make it go away. But what I can do is find a way to make it as easy to live with as possible. And that absolutely is good advice for us all, right? So if you take, you know, take out anxiety and put whatever thing is that you're dealing with, whether it's type two diabetes, whether it's depression, whether it's past trauma, that is the thing that, you know, we got to some things we will never be able to get rid of. We will have to just figure out how to live with. And the goal being that, can we have the best life possible? Uh, Right. Because even though we have to carry this thing around. So
1: like I said, I carry a lot of resentment about like just not being seen or not being understood when I was a kid. My thought was if I didn't, if someone saw me and tried to help me with my anxiety when I was a kid, then I wouldn't be anxious now, which is bullshit. It's, It's not well, It's not something you can say for sure, right? Like, who knows? But when I see anxious behaviors and anxiety behaviors in my daughter, what I do know is that if I address it now, I give her the ability to grow the tools, to gain the tools, to be able to process that and live her best life, which I think is really what my resentment is about and not about like, well, then I wouldn't be anxious now. That's, there's an exercise in like,
0: Utility, right? Futility,
1: yeah, exactly, right, exactly.
0: But yeah, and I can understand that. Which is, you know, if if someone would have helped me earlier, I would. You no, know, I think we all have things like that. But when it feels like such a heavy load to carry, I think it's much not easier. That's not the right word, but like you think about that a lot more. Which is, well, I would be better at this if I had had more practice. Right. We can go into a long discussion about neuro neuroplasticity and how hard it is to change and blah 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 but that's a that's a conversation for another day
1: but you can actually make friends with a tiger yes you know and you can go like hey tiger you're here again uh you're not going to kill me and you can actually like coexist with the tiger. put your
0: food out back
1: right yes yes i'll see you next
0: week so the question i get to ask that you always ask (laughs) which is what is the family like that you think about with us with your work people within yours you know your nuclear family now yeah so
1: i have two very specific ones for you and i and that like it's such a small intimate group that like it's just the two of us because yeah. anybody else would even like mom or spur trying would be like what are you talking about but i'll give you a couple from in our um in our family With me and Brian and Anushka, We do a lot of like, we cut off words. So, so like pizza would be za, but like, um, lasagna instead of like lazags, it's the xianya. Like it's, we do it in dumb ways. (laughs) We cut off words to actually, it makes it harder to say the word. For example, anxiety in this house is the zites. (laughs) And and then like there's sometimes where Brian will be like I wanted to say per usual instead of per usual but he doesn't know how to spell that like is that with a J and two Z's like you don't know so when we're <laughs> texting each other it it just becomes really funny my anxiety is the Zites I have the Zites and it's spelled X I T E S I say instead of children I say child so uh, Anushka is my child and then the the plural of that like you have two childs
0: Mm -hmm. yeah that makes sense
1: yeah that's some of the things between you and I and I I know this is gonna make you laugh (laughs) so the term these
0: oh I was thinking about that when you asked me
1: what are these is is a thing right so I had I had a really weird uh kind of wild imagination when I was okay was
0: a very imaginative child
1: yes I had and I was I was an inside like in my head child too like I was an introvert. So I had this like long string of pearls, like, it was, like costume really, jewelry. Really yeah, trashy like, costume white, jewelry. Really white trashy costume jewelry. And I like swirled it around and I made like a little swirly on, pillow. Pattern. on, on a pillow on a velvet pillow. And you go, What are you doing? And I say, I'm making these. And you go, but what is it? I go, it's a these. And then you're <laughs> like, it's called a these. And I was like, yes, it's this swirly. And like, And so I was making these, but it was a thing. So now these is a thing. It is like a, a word that we use.
0: Do you want a these? Yes.
1: Do you want, are you making a these? Like if you're doing something that like you can't answer quite the question, they're like, oh, I got to get the thing. You're like, is it a these? The other one is chain of command.
0: Oh, I was thinking about that one too. That one's really good. That
1: when people at, and now when I, okay, so <laughs> if you remember like the Ramona and Beezus books, right? Right.
0: listeners, This is a great story.
1: <laughs> There's a Ramona and Beezus books. Ramona's aunt Beatrice was getting married and they all had to go with the fiance and all of the kids, like, you know, Ramona Beezus and all these kids had to go to like the tuxedo shop. They had to do something for the wedding. And the uncle, the soon to be uncle was like, okay, so we're gonna form a chain of command. I'm in charge of Beezus. Beezus is in charge of Ramona. And it was like, all, everyone was in charge of the next person down. And so they formed a chain of command. I, again, and I don't know, I just apparently like my playthings were just like (laughs) costume jewelry and like random things. I had a broken chain, like a necklace chain. And I called it my chain of command. And I, and also for, I don't know why I just thought that I should tell you all of these things (laughs) that were going in my head. I guess that's what happens when you're like, go play with your sister, right? Like take care of your sister. And so I was reading this book and I had a chain of command in my hand. It was this broken chain. And you're like, you're like, do you don't know what a chain of command is? I was like, no, I totally do. This is the (laughs) chain of command. And you go, okay, so what is it? I go, I tell the chain to do stuff and I it command does. it to do stuff and it does stuff. And I remember we were in the garage and you're like, really? <laughs> Show me. And I go, and I had it in my hand I go, chain of command, open the door. Oh and I just took my hand with the chain in it and I opened the door. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure you just, you laughed a little <laughs> and then you were like, oh my God, she's serious. And then you walked away. Like you're like, I'm okay. not engaging. I'm not engaging. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I,
0: I remember those two things really, really clearly that chain of command too. And
1: now like a chain of command, when I think of a chain of command, I actually think of a chain.
0: No, me too. Me too. I, when people say I, I this is you. a chain of command, <laughs> I actually, I think about a broken link necklace. Yeah, exactly. Exactly.
1: So <laughs> those are the two acts and like we bring it up and, I was maybe 6 or 7 cuz I was reading like, you know, that kind of not like picture books, but um Right. Yeah, and I'm 43, so like 36 years later we're still talking about the chain of command. And like I if you said something about the chain of command to anybody else in our family even,
0: they would No, they would not be, I mean, think of the same things. They would no, they wouldn't think of that. They might I think people know the story cuz we've told Cause that we've story. Told but if That's not where their head would go to immediately. But for you and I, it's like, that's when people say chain of command, that is what I think about. And then I have to be like, oh, no, they don't mean an actual chain. Exactly. I was going (laughs) to say, I
1: have to stop myself from laughing, thinking about that story, because they have no idea what that story is. But if I say chain of commands or these and you're anywhere in the premises, we will start laughing. Yes. Like If you're an earshot, we will start laughing.
0: Yeah, that's absolutely true. That was a good conversation. It was good. Thank you for sharing with me and our listeners. I appreciate it. A lot of people would not be as open about a a lot of the things you said. I mean, it takes a lot of courage, not necessarily to talk about anxiety. I think particularly post-pandemic that people are really starting to re- like like recognize that people are really struggling under a big mental load but to talk about having how your anxiety has resulted in all of these other things that've gone on you know particularly the eating disorder i think that's still something that has a lot of stigma associated with it and you know and and you know admitting that like well i was bummed that the breastfeeding didn't work out but at least i was happy to go back on my meds right
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, one of the things that I, I try to do, and a lot of it is like working in mental health and neuroscience is I I talk a lot about mental health and I was like, yeah, I have anxiety and I, you know, I'm really open about taking meds and I'm really open about my infertility and my, and my loss. There's a lot of stigma about that. And my eating disorders, there's a lot of stigma about that. I talk about it all. And I was actually going to bring this up and I forgot, but this is a good place to do it is there's a show, there's a, there's a, a Broadway show called dear Evan Hansen and the kid actually had Evan Hansen has social anxiety in that, but there's one point, And this is like, this is good advice for us all where the song says, there's a place where we don't have to feel unknown. And every time that you call out, you're a little less alone. And I, I think about that because I'm, whenever I say something, because I'm not the only one who has anxiety. I'm not the only one who went through infertility. You're not the only cancer survivor. You're not, we're not all that special. We're all unique, but we're not all that special. And I think that the more we talk about this, the, the more that you cry out, you're a little less alone. That's just really, that's become very important to me as I've gotten older.
0: And I I absolutely agree with you. And I want to remind you that um, that was your idea from the beginning with this podcast is the more you feel seen, this whole podcast is about lifting up people's stories. Um, and so they, they feel seen, but also other people feel seen from hearing someone who's in the same situation as them. Um, and, and not only is that good advice for us all, what a great gift that, that people give us by sharing their stories so that we can share that with you know people who we're not talking to directly.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. I love you mucho, macho McGee. That's another one. That means you just love someone so much that there's no, there's no other uh, words that make senses. I love you mucho, macho Magee.
0: I love you too. Talk
1: to you soon. I will.
0: Yep. Talk to you soon.
1: Love you. Bye. Bye.